for a blessing upon the reading of his word. Shall we pray? Merciful God and Father, you dwell in unapproachable light. We are born into darkness. You are the life-giving power by your word. We are dead in sin by our choice. We pray now to you, O heavenly God and Father, to accomplish that which alone you can do. Shine your light so that our hearts are illuminated. Breathe your power that our lives may testify to your grace. For we ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. John 14 is found on page 1070 in your pew Bible, 1070, where you find John 14. This is the penultimate I am sermon. There's one more. That'll be in, Lord willing, in April. As Lord willing, in March, as you celebrate Lord's Supper, I will be in Ethiopia teaching ministers and elders the matters of the faith. So this is the second to last. The last is in chapter 15. I am the true vine, or I am the vine. But first we're going to read from John chapter 14. We'll read the first 14 verses. Hear the word of God. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know what you are doing. How can we know the way? Or where you are going, rather. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's for the reading of God's holy word. Again, verse 6. If you look at verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's our text this afternoon. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, our Lord, as we have before us this afternoon this glorious blessing of the Lord's Supper to which we've now come to receive from the hand of him who serves the very body and blood of Jesus Christ, we sometimes miss just how remarkable this moment is, just how blessed this is. And understandably, given the culture in which we live and its pressure upon us to look for blessings that are not nearly as glorious as this one. Uh, Our world holds before us many, many blessings. You think of all of the commercials 
that you see when YouTube starts up and you start watching a clip, you can't quite skip through. It seems to me that the timelines that they give to you now are increasing. You've got to wait now 20 seconds before you can skip. They want you to see the whole commercial. And the commercial gives you some car, some technology, some vacation, some thing that will make your life so very, very happy. Indeed, happiness, if you judge our culture, is the freedom to do whatever you want, to be whoever you want, to go wherever you want. And, and we're taught to pursue that. We're taught to uh, uh, approach that and to seek that in our lives too. And it seems to me that when we do that, what we discover is that our world is wrong. And that in the end, what we get for our pursuit of all these things is not what they promised we would get. That as we seek blessing, maybe in a relationship, maybe we think if we're going to be happy, if we got married, we would be happy. Then things would be good. And we discover, don't we, inevitably, that marriage is a, a place where you die to self, where you are required to put to death self-centeredness. Marriage cannot succeed where selfishness dwells. And you say, wait a minute, I got married to get blessed, to get happy. I got married for me. And now I've discovered that in marriage, I can't be me. I have to surrender it all. That's hard for us. That shift between our expectations and our experience, between what we want and what we get, that's an existential crisis. That's a place where we get anxious. That's a place where we get discouraged. That's a place where we get divorced. That's where brokenness is experienced. Our world promises us a lot but pays out very little. Now, it's in that context that I want us to hear these words of Jesus when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and to hear them, especially in their context. Because the context is just as important as this saying itself. The context is, of course, some very difficult words. Jesus has said, let not your hearts be troubled. There's a reason why Jesus said that to his disciples. Their hearts were troubled because of what he was saying, because of his foretelling of Peter's denial, because he had said, one of you will betray me, because he said that he would die. Jesus has just said, I'm going to die very soon. And one of you is going to kill me. And oh, Peter, you'll deny me three times. And where I'm going, you cannot come. Those are hard words for these disciples who for three years have been following Jesus, have been so very close to him, and and now hear Jesus predicting, prophesying about his own death. And so Jesus speaks some comforting words. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to, pre- would I have told you that I go to play, uh, prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going Jesus says to his disciples, don't be troubled. I know it sounds bad. My death, Judas' betrayal, Peter's denial, my departure. It sounds terrible, but it's actually very good. It's actually very, very good. Because by doing all of these things, I'm going to open a way for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to bring you to that glorious place, that much better place, that awesome and amazing place. And that stirs a question in Thomas's heart even as it should stir a question in our heart. Thomas says, we don't know where you're going, Jesus, so how can we know the way? And then, of course, we get those famous words of Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we need to hear those words, first of all, in this context. 
There's always a danger, of course, of twisting words out of their context when we're reading Scripture and making them say whatever we want them to say. That is a very real possibility. And the question we need to answer when it comes to understanding Scripture at any point is not what do I think it means, but what does the Word of God say it means? What does Jesus say it means? What is Jesus saying to us in this passage? And yet, if we don't ask that question, then maybe we'll miss the connection of this passage to our own lives. Because I think we find ourselves in this passage very easily. Because Thomas's question, I hope, I think, is not very foreign to us. Thomas, the disciple, gets a very bad rap. We kind of look down our nose at it. We call him Doubting Thomas because of what happens at the end. But to be honest, Thomas is to me the most real of all the disciples. He's like every one of us. He says exactly what we're all thinking. He says what everybody else is either unwilling to say or unwilling to admit. Thomas is very honest. Jesus has just said that where he's going, they cannot come. And then he says, almost in the next sentence, and you know the way to where I'm going. In between is this lovely word about the Father's house, a a place of great joy, a great peace, great rest, that the disciples have a reservation in already. When they come to to the house, a room will be there for them. And after all the talk about death and betrayal and dark things, this is a so much better image for Jesus to to speak about, a place of great shalom. So Jesus says, I have a place for you. I have a house for you. It's amazing. You're going to love it. Is it so crazy for Thomas to think in geographical terms? Where is this place, Jesus? Where is this land? Where is this house? If you're going to a city, to a nation, a place on the globe, tell us how to get there so that we can dwell in this paradise with you. And if they don't know what part of the globe Jesus is going to travel to, then how could they possibly know the way to get there? You see, Thomas understood that life with Jesus is the blessed life. Indeed, that's what fuels his question. Jesus, life with you, that's the best of it all. I want to be with you wherever you are, Jesus. Show me the way and I'll be there. If you're about to go somewhere, Jesus, leave me a map and I'll find my way there. Indeed, that is the most natural, the most human, the most real expression of how we view Jesus and Christianity, I think you can find. We instinctively buy into this mentality that Thomas here expresses, namely that there is a map That you can follow a system, a program, a set of rules, a set of expectations that if you follow as a parent, as a spouse, as a businessman, as a member of the church, as a member of society, you'll get to the good place. This is the witness of all religions. What is Buddhism? It's a religion, of course, but what does it teach you? It says that the world in which you live is an illusion, but it knows the way to wholeness. It knows the way to being free from all of this dishonesty. Indeed, Buddhism is essentially a treasure map. Walk on this path and you will arrive at blessing. Islam's no different, is it? Islam is very much a works-based religion. And it's a way of seeing the world, how to organize your home, how to organize your life, how to organize your relationship with God. 
how to move from place to place and to secure blessing. It's as though Islam says to every one of its adherents, look, turn left here and then take a right there and then you'll find this place of blessing if you walk this path that we've given you. Hinduism, no different. It's not a lifestyle, or is, or is it a lifestyle rather, uh, built upon an understanding of reality? Or is it, is it a way of seeing the world in, in a way that is unique and distinctive? Of course it is. Indeed, find a religion that isn't essentially a philosophy, essentially a way of understanding life, essentially a path to walk down. Find a world religion that isn't essentially a treasure map. Indeed, that's what explains our current culture. That's what explains, you might say, all of those protests in Europe by farmers. That's what explains all of the angst and anxiety of our North American culture. That what explains all of the upheaval and uh, 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 all the trouble that is going on within our society. Our society has been traveling along a lovely little path, and now we want to be traveling on a very different path. And that transfer, that change, it's like we took the map out and we put in a new map, and now there's new lefts and new rights and new turns and new ways to blessing, and we're all a little bit concerned, we're all a little bit afraid, and the people in power say, just trust us, if you do this, blessing will come. Because that's the way man thinks. Even Christians think that way. Think of the book of Galatians. Think of the Reformation. Think of the Arminian controversy so soon after the events of the Reformation. There are no shortage of cartographers in the Christian church. Even today, preachers from the pulpits of God's people telling us, how to do this, how to do that, how to be happy, how to get successful, how to have a strong marriage, how to have a purpose-driven life, and on and on and on it goes. Indeed, in our own experience, we default to this kind of thinking. We instinctively sense that if I make the right decisions, if I marry the right person, parent the right way, eat the right food, live the right lifestyle, I'll be blessed. On some level, I'll be blessed. Which is only to say we're all like Thomas. We want to be at the place of blessing. We want the place of shalom. We want the place of joy and peace. We want the place that Jesus promises us in John 14. But we say to Jesus, show us the map. Teach us the way. Give us the instructions. Tell us the, the directions. Get the GPS coordinates so that our Siri can tell us when to turn left, right, and the next Give us a tour guide, a guru, a spiritual leader, a counselor, a a denomination, a preacher who can give to us the good life. I mean, we say it even within our own lives. We say it about, unfortunately, young men. Young men who are irresponsible. Young men who are immature. Young men who are ungodly. And we say, you know what? He just needs a good woman to settle down. That's the map. That's the path to blessing. We'll get him to blessing. We know he's not in it. We'll get him there if we can just get this woman to make his life better. But we're wrong. And I've always been wrong. Because Thomas, like us, misunderstands. He hears Jesus speak about a great place of blessing. But he doesn't truly understand where that place is. That place free of the power of sin and death. That place of eternal fellowship with God. 
he misunderstands why Jesus came. Jesus came to die. Jesus came to rise again. Jesus came to pay the debt, to remove the separation between sinners and their righteous God. Jesus says, I'm going to experience all this wrath, all this judgment, all this suffering and sorrow so that you can live in the house that God has built in eternity. How can anyone live in the Father's house, in the place of glory and perfect peace, if they're clothed in their sins and judgment before the face of God? Oh, Jesus was not promising His disciples some earthly paradise. He wasn't saying on this earth, in this life, I'm going to give you this very easy, this very glorious existence. But He says the the path of suffering will bring you to a place of eternal blessing with our God. And too often that's our problem. Too often our desires in this life are to be free of suffering, free of pain, free of the sorrows of this life because the real purpose of life is today, to be happy today, to be happy now. I can't be in a marriage that isn't happy. I can't be in a situation that isn't happy. I can't be in a job that doesn't make me fulfilled. I can't do these things. Little wonder abortion in our society is so prevalent. Little wonder that medical assistance in dying is so popular. I can't be happy today, so why should I live? Too often our expectation for blessing is too limited, too myopic, too short-sighted, too earthly. We want blessing in material terms, in emotional terms, in personal terms. But we forget that the real problem of this life is not our lack of stuff. It is not our stressful life or our physical health those are symptoms of the real problem which is our judgment against God or our judgment before the face of God of our sin our selfishness our pride our separation from God or rebelling against him and Jesus says I've come to deal with that I haven't come to make your life happy although the happiness that I give you is the greatest happiness of all I've come to free you from sin and enter you into fellowship with the Father to a full and free wholeness and joy. And he says, I'm the one who gets you there. How do we get to this place of full and free fellowship with the Heavenly Father? How do we get to this place of shalom, of peace, of full happiness? There is no map, you understand. There is only a Messiah. There is no directions, which is what makes it so very hard for us. We like directions. But we're only given a deliverer. Now we can spend a lot of time reflecting on each of the words Jesus uses when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Some combine them to be the truthful way of life or something similar. It's probably better to consider them as connected but still distinct And notice that they are all united by this beginning article, the word the. Jesus doesn't say, I'm a way, a truth, and a life. He says, the way, the truth, and the life. The narrow-mindedness that our world accuses us of comes to great expression here. We are absolutely and utterly narrow-minded. There is only one way of salvation, only one source of truth, only one fountain of life. But the stunning element of these words that Jesus gives to us is not that he is just the way of blessing or even that he is the truth that blessing comes or that uh, that flows through him 
or that in him life is blessed. Those are all wonderful and profound truths. The stunning element is that Jesus says to us in this passage, not, I know the way, the truth, and the life. That is what every other religion claims. That is what we believe instinctively. That's what we want without thinking. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, He is these things. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. They are me. And I am them. Apart from me they are not. And in me they are in their fullness. Think of it. Think of Islam for a moment. And ask yourself, what if, for what re- one reason or another, we were t- able to discover that as it turned out, Muhammad, the founder of Islam, never existed. He was a made-up character by some people who wanted to peddle this faith. What would that do, do you think, to Islam? How would that change the Islamic religious system? You can ask any Muslim, I've done that, they'll tell you this. Nothing. Makes no difference. Makes no difference. Muhammad is not important. He was blessed. Allah used him, but he is not the cornerstone of our religion. Without Muhammad, the religion's just fine. Thank you very much. In fact, that's true of every religion, isn't it? Take away Confucius from Confucianism, and somebody else would have taught the same thing. If there was no Zeno, there would be no, or there would still rather be Stoicism. Easy. Take away the founder of the religion, the religion remains. But what if you took away Jesus? What if Jesus never existed? What if Jesus was never incarnate, never died, never rose? What if Jesus was not? As so many in the world claim, he isn't. What then happens to Christianity? It ceases. It ceases. Not because no one could come up with this religion, though no one can come up with this religion, but because Christianity is utterly unique in this aspect of its teaching. That it is all wrapped up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That it is all in the end Him and His power at work within us. The message of Christianity is not a map, but a Messiah. He is the way. He opens for us the way into life when through faith we rest in Him and find in Him the righteousness of God. His sacrifice alone can bring us into fellowship with God. He is the truth. There is no other truth than what proceeds from God who reveals it through His Son to His people in Jesus Christ, you learn the truth. Philip learns that after Jesus speaks these words. Do you not know me, Philip? Because if you want to know God, you need to know me. For I reveal God. He is the revelation of truth itself. If you would know truth, capital T truth, the truth you must know Jesus. And He is the life. 
He who would resurrect so very quickly hereafter, three days later, He who would ascend to heaven and pour out His Holy Spirit so that His people might experience resurrection power, He is the life, the very fountain of life which flows from Him. It is from Him that the branches united to Him bear fruit, for He alone is the life. And that's what makes our faith That's what makes our celebration of the Lord's Supper. That's what makes our Jesus unique. Oh, Jesus' words were so very profound. For he doesn't say to us, I know the way. I know the truth and I know the life. He says, I am them. Which means if you have me, you have them. And if you don't have me, you don't have them. Understand how radically that changes the religion we confess and how that radically changes our participation in the Lord's Supper. We are not here as Christians because ours is a lifestyle. Not first of all. It is obviously a lifestyle. But that's not what makes us Christians. It is not our view of the world that makes us Christians. Ours is not a hope against all hope. Ours is not a system of teaching or doctrine. Ours is a man, a Savior. Ours is a Lord who now gives to us His flesh and His blood, who says to us, eat and drink, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now understand how hard that is for all of us to do. Understand how much we dislike these words from Jesus. We vastly prefer marching orders. We vastly prefer being told, give me instructions. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. How often in a catechism class or in a Bible study don't people say, give me the answer. Just tell me the answer so that I don't have to think it through. We vastly prefer works righteousness. A Jesus who is a guru. A Jesus who is a teacher. Books that tell us this is the Christian diet. This is the Christian parenting. This is the Christian that and the next thing. And Jesus stands before us at the table of our Lord and he says, no. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I give you me. And then asks of us the vital question. Do you know me? Do you walk with me? Do you love me? Think for a moment. In a few moments, we're going to have that bit of bread and bit of wine in our hands and in our mouths. Do you know whose flesh you are eating? Do you know that He is the Son of God, the way of salvation, the Redeemer of your soul? Do you know that He is the life? Do you know that there is no greater joy than to walk with Jesus? I'm not asking, are you good at it? Do you know it? Do you know it? Do you desire only to live in fellowship with Jesus? Do you know that He is the truth? That when He speaks, it ends all controversy? That His Word is law? Do you know this Jesus? And do you love this Jesus? Do you stand in awe of this Jesus? Do you embrace this Jesus? Do you hunger and thirst for this Jesus? Because there is no greater joy that all of the promises, all of the empty promises of our world 
It's technology, it's vacations, it's retirement plans, it's relationships, it's apparently guilt-free living, it's sexual immorality, it's drugs and drink. That does nothing but make us miserable, guilty, shameful. Do you know that this Jesus is better than them all? And do you come now to eat of Him and Him alone? Lord, I long to be full. I long to be alive. I long to know the truth. Jesus says, come. Eat of me. Fellowship with me. Receive me. For I am the way, the truth, and the life. What a comfort. What a word. What a grace. Because all of us are miserable. All of us cannot live the Christian life worth a wit. All of us are stumbling along. All of us forget more than we remember. We hear a sermon. We read a book. We read a proverb. And we go, oh, if I had only remembered that. Or we read it and we go, I am never going to forget. That is going to shape my life. I'll tell you what. That is going to shape my life. And we forget it the next week. Because that's who we are. We are struggling, weakly, broken sinners. And imagine now that Jesus was just an instructor. Just a teacher. Just a professor. Just a guru. You have to do it. I'll tell you the way. You do it. I'll tell you the way. Man, that would be tough. That would be tough. There'd be a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of brokenness, a lot of endless. Why am I so silly? Why am I so foolish? Why am I so bad? But Jesus says, none of that. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want fellowship with God? You want freedom from sin? You want eternal bliss? I'm it. No system. No program. No steps. Just me. Just me. He puts his hand out and he says, come. Come. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so let's come. Let's feast. There is nothing better in all this world than what is laid before you today. Here is the greatest gift you can ever receive. The way, the truth, and the life. Let's thank him for it in prayer. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this grace. We stand in awe of its mercy that you should include us, that we should be allowed to partake. It is beyond our ability to comprehend. We thank you for it. Cause us now, Lord, to feast upon you, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.